Welcome back to Real Phonies, where we take a love for movies and television and combine it with very little knowledge about movies and television. I'm your host, Christian. Join the air, my co-host, Joseph. Yellow. And Jehu. Uh, doing a movie review. We haven't done one of these in a while. I feel like I feel like it's been a few weeks. Sure, it's been a while. Still not a movie we watched in movie theaters. Also, still one we're substantially not qualified to discuss. That's oh, I guess we did do Wonder Woman eighty four like two weeks ago. So my original statement was bullshit. Yeah, Joseph, you're right. We'll probably be. I don't think we'll be. At, I hope we're not as offensive as we were with Wonder Woman, but we have we have the potential to be. <laughs> I mean, I you know I the, there's definitely potential here. I just mean for for a movie which is largely just a discourse about how black men of influence should use their influence to uh, elevate the black community. I don't feel like we've got a lot of uh, of of uh, insight on that personally. I, Personally, where, I, where I'm coming from on this is I doubt I'll be as offensive because this movie isn't the dumbest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. But, you know, it, it sort of it sort of sits in an area where it's it's pretty good. And it's hard to say a lot about pretty good movies. We should talk about you what know? the actual movie is. We watched okay. One Night in Miami. Yes. The story of uh, One Night in Miami. Well, <laughs> between... <laughs> Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali, Sam Cooke, uh, and Malcolm X. And Jim Brown. Before, you, you, said, you said Cassius Clay. Oh, and, and... I said Muhammad Ali and Cassius Clay. Jim yep. Brown, you're right. They're both in there. There's time travel in this movie. See, yeah. this Thanks is oh, this is this is a good question I wanted to ask that I forgot. It feels weird calling him Cassius Clay because for me, post it, he doesn't want to like be called naming him, right? Yes, hundred yeah. percent. But the character in the movie at that period has is, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think dead naming would be the right term for this because, I mean, it's it's literally the story of his name changing as part right, of this. Right, right. So, so it's hard. You can't not acknowledge that. Yeah, it just feels weird because we are talking. We are not in the movie or at that time. We are talking post that event. So right. uh, I just, you know, and he's dead and not listening to this podcast. So it's not like I'm really going to disrespect Muhammad Ali himself, but I want to respect his legacy. Um, what do we think of this movie, guys? So I should I should preface with uh, besides you know being a, a story of of four or, or a inspired by true events uh, fictionalized conversation of of four prominent black men. I guess today what year is this supposed to be? It's roughly around the the civil rights movement. Kind I think of it's stuff. I think it's sixty four. Yeah, okay. I think it's sixty four. It's after Kennedy's dead. Yeah, good point. Uh, but the uh, it, it's based on a play by uh, Kemp Powers, who also wrote the script for uh, the movie Soul. And it makes so much sense that it's a play because it mostly takes place in one room. Uh, but this mm-hmm. is also the directorial debut of Regina King. Yes. Who we love from Watchmen, but it's also in other things. Joseph, do you happen to have the cast in front of you? Because, you know, I know Leslie Odom Jr. and Aldous Hodge are in this movie. I don't remember the other two guy names. Uh, Aldous Hodge, Leslie Odom Jr., uh, Ellie Gorey, I'm not sure if that's correct, uh, is Cassius Clay. And then uh, Kingsley Benadir is Malcolm X. And then Lance Reddick is in it for some reason. He really isn't given a lot to do. <laughs> He's for not. Lance for, for, someone, for someone with such a distinct look and, and, and just general recognizability, not necessarily as Lance Reddick, but people are like, hey, I know that guy. He's probably going to do something. He doesn't right. really do a lot. No, he doesn't. See, I 100% thought this role was born for Lance Reddick in that it's exactly like it is that 
slightly intimidating black guy role, which is his entire career. Sure. You're not wrong. Like he pushes John Locke downstairs. Um, <laughs> I could believe that guy would push John Locke downstairs. <laughs> he looks like he put on some muscle mass for this role. He I does. wonder if he thought yeah. it was going to be a bigger part. He actually thought he was going to play Jim Brown in it. And then, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, how disappointing. Um, uh, as far as like initial impression to this movie, I, uh, you know, I could very much tell it was a play. I got really nervous in the first 20 minutes, uh, which I think were the bits. So the play is 90 minutes. This movie was two hours. I suspect the, the first bit, the, all the opening uh, yeah. bits with each of the characters is the added bit. I was really worried based on those 20 minutes that we had made a really poor choice. Right. Uh, the, the combination of writing and tropiness and just not great acting overall uh, made me like, oh, this is going to be a bad time. But then once we got to the actual, uh, you know, the, the one night in Miami bit, I had a pretty good time with it. It's, it's uh, you know, I think the, the acting gets a lot better. The writing is a lot better. And it's just, you know, it's, it's an interesting discussion between four interesting people that they probably didn't actually have. But it's like nice to imagine they did. I was worried going into this that it was going to fill it into one of my least favorite categories of movies, which are movies that are not good, but get a pass because they're about something important. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I'm looking at you, Selma. I'm looking at you, Passion of the Christ. You know, movies that, you know, people just want to like because they're because of what they're about, but they're not actually good movies. Uh, I, I was very happy this wasn't that. This movie wasn't, you know, great. Like, there there are things, as we talk about it further, that I'll tell my problem. But for the most part, I really enjoyed it. I actually think it's a bummer that there was adult content in this movie because I think it would be a great thing to show to, you know, like an early teen who doesn't know anything about these four dudes to say, here's why these dudes were important. Yeah. But, uh, but, but unfortunately, they say pussy a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh I yeah, I feel very similar to you guys. I do think the beginning is a little shaky. It takes a long time to get to a title card in this movie and any time it takes more than 2 minutes for me to get to a title card, I'm in a bad mood. Um, unless uh, the title card is at the very end and they earned it. Th- that's true. Start, uh like it, it is if it's something that you intentionally do, you know, artistically and you can see that throughout the film on board. I am not really a fan of it just for the sake of, you know, whatever. In this movie, there's not really a reason. And um, so I started off with Shaky, but agreed. Once you really get into like the meat and potatoes, this movie's really good. I was really impressed, like even though Leslie Odom Jr. and Aldous Hodge are the guys I recognized in this film. And I don't think they're bad. I thought the other two dudes were like way better. The guy who plays Malcolm X, I thought was actually really good. But I, yeah, I just, and for a film that's like just four dudes in a room having a conversation, it was like entertaining. Like it, it was like, I, I don't know. I can't really explain what I mean by that, but it never was like dull or boring. Yeah, yeah. Like it was just, you know, a fun, like a weird kind of fun watch the whole time um, that I really, I don't know. I, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I don't think it's a best picture winner, but I think it's a fun movie. I mean, it might be this year, depending on how much shit actually comes out this year. Right. <laughs> It's, it's funny you I wanted to go like actor by actor to see how we felt about each guy individually because I think there is one that that didn't quite rise to the occasion 
And I, if Christian doesn't seem to think so, I'm curious if Hurt does. Well, I mean, I think before I even get into specifics in each of them, I think a problem I had going into this with some of them is I've watched multiple movies about some of these characters. So it was almost like at times I was questioning myself when I was like, oh, this guy's doing a good job of playing Muhammad Ali. It's like, well, does he really remind me of Muhammad Ali the person or does he just remind me of other movies I've seen with Muhammad yeah. Ali? <laughs> and I, I don't know the answer to that to be true. To be, and I, I'd say even more so with Malcolm X. Uh, you know, because it just seems you know, like, oh, yeah, he's he's doing a real good job in this scene. And it's like, or does he just remind me of Denzel? Like, which <laughs> thing is actually happening here? I didn't feel it as much from Malcolm X for me. For me, it was Muhammad Ali. I definitely felt the whole time I was like comparing it to Will Smith. And that wasn't really fair to that guy because I think he nails the mannerisms and the accent like really, really well. well I'm not uh, sure about that accent, but. I think he does. Like I, what I mean, so is like he's got the flow like really well, like uh-huh. the rhythmic speaking that Muhammad Ali had. I thought he does a good job of, but I don't, you know, I don't know if he really carries a lot of emotional weight. For me, the one that I was, you know, it's hard to say least impressed with, but was Aldous Hodge, just because I don't feel like well, Jim Brown is the let's, least. Let's he, talk what about is he that. in that? Fo- why is he in that story? Right. For how, did, how did Jim Brown? Okay, so of these four men. Three of them are dead, and the only living one that's still alive today and is a, a, a vocal Trump supporter somehow comes out smelling like roses in this fucking movie. I he's, think you're, he's, the, uh, he's, the, he's the Brian May. Of hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Are you mixing up Herschel Walker and Jim Brown? Jim Brown's, Jim Brown's still alive. No, but I think Herschel Walker is the. No, Jim Brown is also a Trump supporter. Okay, I wasn't aware I, of that. I'm just going to pretend like you're wrong about that, no matter what you say, because I can't handle that about Jim Brown. I've always thought Jim Brown was a cool motherfucker, and there's no cool motherfucker supporting Trump. Anyway, I'm I'm curious, like, how I understand that, like, I think there are specific, like, angles that they were trying to, to play as far as, like, you know, societal conversations about, like, you know, economic impact and social impact and religious impact and all these kind of stuff. And of those things, I think Jim Brown had the least angles to approach the conversation with, I guess. But at the same time, like, yeah, I don't know. He like he definitely doesn't have an arc and definitely of all the people it just kind of comes off as like, oh, I'm just the generally agreeable guy that's like not too into anything. But, you know, I, I get along with everybody. Well, <laughs> of, of the four guys, I'll say he looks the best in a suit. He does. You know, that, that's a nice suit and he fills it out well. But yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if he really, I, I, I don't know if he really captured Jim Brown that well or not, because I don't really, I'm not that familiar with Jim Brown during that era. I'm more, you know, like familiar with second wave of Jim Brown. So, well, that, and that's kind, that's kind of my problem with it. It seems like the other three all had an important, and not that Jim Brown's voice at that time wasn't important. I understand top five football player all time the biggest star in NFL at that time was a black guy. I get it. But the other three, and they touch on this in the movie on how important each of them are, but they don't ever really do that for that character. Right. And so he's just kind of sitting there sulking to the sidelines the whole time. And this is why, I mean, like I'm not saying Aldous Hodge is bad in that. I, but at no point do I see Jim Brown in that character. I see Aldous Hodge and maybe that's not a, diss on him as much as it is like the writing or right. just the decision of having him be that character 
Right. You know, you know what it really, what they, what they should have done since all the conflict in this was probably made up anyway, they should have given him more conflict with Ali because essentially they were flip sides of the same coin. You know, one one of them was going deeper into, into sort of activism and stuff. And one of them seemed like he was stepping away from it more. So there could have been more conflict between, because they were essentially the same thing. They were sports stars who, you know, were black during an era where it was, you know, not always the safest thing to be a famous black person. Yeah. And that kind of brings me to the thing that I struggle with when, especially when Hurt's talking about like, you know, this would make a good movie to watch for people who don't know anything about these icons, I guess, uh, to like get familiar with them is when you do these kind of, you know, like two Pope style, they might've been in the same place at the same time, but we don't actually know anything that they said. Uh, right but you're putting these words in their mouth. It's this weird thing where like now for you, like you say, people who may not have otherwise been familiar uh, with who these people were and like what they did, what they stood for, all these kind of stuff. These are definitive versions of these people, these real life people that existed, despite the fact that literally none of the things that they said in this movie, besides maybe the stuff in like the the press release at the end there uh, are things that they actually said. So it's just, you know, I don't know, like it, it inhabits a weird, I, I feel weird about these movies putting words in, in the mouths of real people that, you know, have real legacies, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I think it's kind of a double-edged sword because I think that's a valid criticism, but I also see the importance of, you know, figuring out a way to connect these people to modern uh, or to newer generations in a way that maybe, you know, isn't a textbook that helps right. to really kind of like, you know, dig in and help them understand who these people were. Uh, but it it definitely is, you know, it is hard to speak for someone who can't speak for themselves. Like you said, the only person here who could even make a comment on it is Jim Brown. And God knows what that guy is going to say. <laughs> uh, so it, it it's it is tough when a person can't really... I think I would feel better about it if, if either one more of these guys or if they were all still alive and right. they could comment on it. I mean, definitely, because it, I mean, I'm not even citing the guy's performance, but the Ollie in this seemed really informed by the Ollie from the Michael Mann movie. Like these seemed like, like the boxing scenes in this almost seemed like, oh, these are, ex- these are deleted scenes from the, from the Michael Mann movie. So yeah, it, it does. I, I I can see what you guys are saying that it all it's very obvious that this is like a uh, showbiz version of this thing. Yeah. Right. Well, I, mean, I I think I think really like it's it's an interesting concept in the sense that again we're talking about four black men of influence arguing about what the the kind of the burden that they have as black men of influence in in a in a culture where you know black men of not influence black people of not influence are you know largely being oppressed or downtrodden or all these kind of things so like the the idea of of having these characters discuss like what the right thing to do with that power uh and and you know how much they're responsible for versus how much you know they're just responsible for living their own lives and being happy kind of thing uh is like an interesting thing it just becomes complicated when you put it with real actual people yeah i do i do like that this movie revolves around a concept um it's not something i want from all of my films it's not something that i want from predominantly my films but i do enjoy every year those like couple of indie concept films that come around you know in this case like you know just you said like two popes or in this one you know here are these four superstars of american 20th century 
we're going to put them in a room and let's just see what would happen if the four of these guys were in a room. Right. Like, what would they talk about? And I appreciate that. I you know, don't always need rising and falling action from a film. And what I think this one does really well is it takes that concept and it presents it in an interesting package from beginning to end. Like I, like I said, I didn't really get bored with it, but I could understand how it could go wrong so easily. Right. No, again, like if, 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 the, uh, if the writing was was the same consistency level as the first 20 minutes for the rest of the movie i would not have made it through the whole movie uh but but definitely uh what i think was probably you know more of the original manuscript of the play is is a really strong like you know dialogue and i mean realistically we we know this that that uh really that's that's what all these stories come down to it's just a bunch of conversations it's just making them you know compelling well one thing i think it suffered from from being a play is these dudes said each other's names way too fucking much. <laughs> yeah. It was like watching an episode of the fucking walking dead. Like, you know, it had, it had no faith in the idea that after, particularly since it had long intro scenes for each of them, yeah. that you would know which guy was which, you know? Uh, and I can understand why that's like that in a play, but they, that's something they should have edited out on uh, for the movie. Also, I, you know, I don't know uh, how Bo Bridges feels about being the uh, kindly face of racism, but, you know, he pulls it off really well. well. You know, here's my thing about that scene. I think Regina King mostly did a great job in this. But I, the, the one note I would give the director is we needed a little music or something to let us know that was coming. Because I know it was supposed to be, you know, just shocking horror. But what instead it kind of feels like is the punchline on a joke. Like it, se- it seems like a wacky story. Sometimes yeah. my, favorite, you know? my favorite thing is that, you know, it's, it's this lady's grandpa uh, who's just hanging around the house. Seemed to just be doing nothing before, you know, famous NFL superstar Jim Brown shows up. He sits down to have a conversation with his old friend Jim Brown. But then, but then the granddaughter's like, Grandpa, I know you're talking to a famous NFL superstar and your friend Jim Brown, but you really need to move this furniture like right fucking now. <laughs> it cannot wait another It second. literally can't. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty fucking dumb. Uh, this is totally kind of off topic, that more serious note you guys are talking about. Uh, am I the only one that thought that the dude who opened up for Sam Cooke in that one part looked like uh, Black Pete Davidson? <laughs> I, didn't I didn't notice that at out. all. But uh, but I'm picturing it in my mind, and that's that's pretty spot on. As soon as I saw him, I was like, "Oh my gosh, it's Black Pete Davidson!" Like it really stuck out to me through the whole rest of the film. I was could not get over that thought. Since since we're doing uh, uh, racist black versions of white actors, uh, I couldn't help. I think it was mostly the glasses, but the uh, the actor who does play Malcolm X reminded me a lot of a black Ben Wishaw. Oh, no, I could see that too. The glasses <laughs> definitely helped, though, yeah. uh, and lack of upper lip. Yeah. <laughs> uh no, I mean I you know, I don't know how much more we have to say on this movie, but I did really enjoy it and I don't watch most things that release on Prime. I know we had chatted about this, but uh I props to Regina King cuz this is like a pretty solid like first directorial effort uh with kind of like a heavy subject. So, you know, good for her. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I, I would be interested to see a second one just because I feel like the original screenplay play may have done a lot of the, or the original stage play may have done a lot of the heavy lifting because I'm, the thing that, that made me nervous were the bits that were the off script bits. 
so I'm interested to see what she could, she does next. But as far as like you know, coaxing good performances and, and shooting the actual uh, you know the the night in the hotel room, yeah, I mean it's really good. I, I was again, I was compelled from minute thirty on to the end. <laughs> Did, didn't Sam Cook die in a weird hotel incident? He did. Yeah, no, everybody died in in unfortunate circumstances. But, but I, I mean, I'm just I, I I will give her a thumbs up just for not trying to have some moment of irony of where he's like man i just hope someday i don't die outside of a hotel like this in my underwear you know you know what i'm saying because i mean movies love to do shit like that so i'm glad they did they did they played they they played that relatively low on this one yeah it was almost kind of noticeable like not just that the future thing but like the whole time i i kind of anticipated that there would be a line about like vietnam or something Mm. Um, yeah 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 yeah, yeah. it never came and so yeah, I hadn't really picked up on the future death stuff, but I had kind of noticed that, oh, some of these topics that these guys are famous for, we are intentionally staying away from. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, unless you guys have anything else, I'm, I'm good to close the book on this one. It's on Amazon Prime. It's good. It's uh, especially when we're, when you probably haven't seen something that's come out after 2019 in a while. I recommend it. It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Better than Transformers. Better than Transformers. Also, now I'm excited to see uh, uh, Kingsley Benadire, the guy who played Malcolm X, and more stuff because he was really good. Yeah, they, definitely the highlight of the movie is the him Sam Cooke fight. Um, yeah, they're I, both. I, I should also mention that I've turned all the way around on Leslie Oda Jr. I know I was hard on him the first time we right. reviewed Hamilton, but he's now my favorite part of Hamilton, probably. Uh, and uh, you know, he's he's really good in this. I thought. You know, one thing I do want to say that I appreciate that he's singing those songs, that they re-recorded those yeah, like yeah, Sam yeah. Cooke songs yeah. with him. Uh, I had a conversation with someone. We were talking about like crooners and like if there would be a next generation. And I said, my vote is Leslie Odom Jr. And I feel vindicated after watching this. Movie. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, that scene, the, the argument between uh, Sam Cooke and Malcolm X was definitely the point where it was like, because up until that, I was like, is this good or not? But that was really the point where the movie came together. Yeah. Okay. Now better we're than, done. Better than Transformers. I would go with better than Transformers, yes. All right. Agreed. <laughs> also shorter than Transformers. Remember also that? Shorter, That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Pretty tight two hours. Again, the stage plays 90 minutes. Movie could have been 90 minutes also, but, you know, here we are. Uh, all right, cool. What have you been watching this uh, this past week, guys? I um, really didn't watch much. Well, I didn't watch much that I, like, want to talk about on here so i was kind of like um thinking back what what do i what would i discuss so i'm gonna talk about something that's almost purely and solely for my wife um she and i watched a, to this podcast she does not but maybe this will <laughs> convince her she loves reality tv i hate it um she loves competition shows i hate them but she has gotten me to watch like a couple of these ones that are like extremely specific skill sets. So it's not like baking or singing or, you know, ones that a lot of people try and suck at. Um, so we've watched like glass blowing competitions and the one we watched last week, which is on HBO max hashtag to our sponsor, HBO max full bloom, which is about florist. And uh, you know what? Really good. I really liked it. I have not big into flowers or floral design. She would tell you I'm a terrible husband at buying flowers. I never do it. It never crosses my mind. But I did enjoy this show because it 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 did something that most competition shows 
fail to do for me. Normally in a competition show, I hate every single contestant. I mm. wish them all gruesome deaths. Right. However, in this one, I really liked all of the contestants. They all seemed like genuinely nice and happy people and were all very excited uh, to be there. And so I got pretty into it. And yeah, no, we have a local girl who's trying out for season two. I hope she makes it at Chrissy Florals on Instagram. If you guys are uh, you know, interested in following her, um, Kate and I know her through wedding things, but no, full bloom. Give it a shot. I liked it. I thought it was better than Transformers. Cool. I like, uh, you know, the only reality show that I watch is the Great British Baking Show. And the reason I like it is because I like all the people and they're all genuinely nice to each other. Yeah, there, that's that's the only uh, one I've watched in a while, and that's the same reason. There's no puck. There's nobody that's you know not there to make friends. And yeah. Everybody there seems pretty interested in making friends. See, we also watched one that was like this called Blown Away on Netflix. It's about glass blowing. And while I really like watching glass blowing and I like the things they make, it is by far the worst when it comes to likable people. All of those assholes are the most vain son of a bitches <laughs> I have ever heard. <laughs> but that's it all right hurt well also glass borrowers really just only ever make stuff for you to put your weed in that's that's <laughs> also what they're true there for. yep there um but um let's see okay what did, what did, what did i watch this week uh i've started watching westworld again mm. uh you know i watched the first season and i really liked it i still don't remember why i didn't watch the second season maybe i was just going through a phase without hbo but that doesn't seem right because you know game of thrones was still happening i don't know why i didn't watch it but anyways i started watching it again i rewatched the first season shit holds up uh yep. w- watching it again it's funny because the twist that i guessed i don't know how i guessed it and the twist that i didn't guess i don't know how i didn't mm. guess it like just it just had block letters the whole time that dude's a robot <laughs> but uh so i'm getting into the second season now which i'm i think people usually view as a uh, as a letdown and i'm like five episodes in it and i fucking love it i you know i i think uh you know it's more in line with the movie is that it gets really horry in the second one it's real gory there's just a whole lot of uh death but i also i you know i like the mystery that's going on in it too uh uh christian i know joseph has have you watched westworld I watched the first season like you. I never watched the second season. Why, why do you think that I haven't watched Westworld? No, I said I know you have. Oh, go carry on. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think you might like the second season. It there's, there's a few times where it makes like very clear and obvious uh, references to Lost. There's a, there's a guy in a secret room who wakes up every day and rides his exercise bike and listens to vinyl records. Like it's, you know cool that like yeah it's it's definitely i you know I, i'm not saying it's as good as lost in its prime but it definitely it's like oh i see you're trying to make me think of lost <laughs> and i like that uh also i really like the part where it goes to samurai world samurai world is the fucking shit make another show just about samurai world um so yeah i'm i'm giving it you know again i'm only halfway through uh uh season two uh, uh but so far i'm giving that show better than transformers hopefully i'll be finished the next time i talk to you guys uh also once i stopped leaving my house from work for work the audio podcast was fucking dead to me which is probably not a thing i should say on our audio podcast but i just don't have a reason to listen to them anymore Agreed. they're a thing to do in my car but video podcasts which i used to you know just 
abhor. Now I found one I like. Uh, it's called Cartoonist Kayfabe. It's two guys of roughly the same age as me who uh, who are comic book artists, but also sort of dissect other comic books and artists and their work. And uh, it's real good. The two guys are funny. Uh, Ed Pisker and Jim Rugg, uh, they, they've done some things where they, you know, they really like want to sort of rescue the legacy of that early image comics. They make strong arguments for guys like Rob Liefeld and Eric Larson and stuff like that. And, uh, and even if you don't agree with it, they're pretty compelling. Uh, if I was going to recommend an episode, they just did an episode on RoboCop versus Terminator, which is a highly underrated comic. Give that one a whirl. All right. Uh, so that yeah, sounds that, that sounds specifically made for you. I mean, it does. I, it does seem very uh, good for me. But I would actually like for someone who's not me to watch it to <laughs> tell me if it is entertaining or if it's just catnip for me. Right. Fair enough. What anime did you watch this week, Joseph? Well, you know, I watched Attack on Titan. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is popping off like a motherfucker. It's Man. just, it's so good. Uh, it's uh, it's we're like on week three of this very violent fight. Yeah, and it, like uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where we're in the fight. Like it's it's called Attack on Titan, the final season. But uh, you know, literally every fucking minute of it is just payoff. You know. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm I'm loving it. Uh, I, I again I'm I'm enjoying the ride. I'm excited to finish the ride to redo the ride. Uh, it's a great time all the way around. I started watching a new anime with the wife uh, called Kaguya-sama Love Is War. It's a romance comedy anime, uh, but kind of taken to the the nth degree. The premise is uh, the, at a, some fancy falutin high school, the student council president and vice president, a boy and a girl respectively, get wind of a rumor that they're dating and then kind of uh, imagine to themselves that, oh, the other one must be in love with me. I guess I'd, I'd probably let them go out with me if, uh, if they asked, uh, which turns into them kind of obsessing over the concept that the other one's going to ask them out and then devising more... Uh, elaborate and ridiculous circumstances to make the other person a- ask them out, uh, but also like refusing to actually acknowledge that they like the other person. It's very comical. It's very funny. It's all very like, I don't know, uh, you know, relatable E circumstances. Like one of the first episodes, uh, the the central conflict is one of the guys gets a cell phone for the first time and he really wants to get the girl's number, but he doesn't want to ask for it. And he doesn't know how to, to get it without specifically being like, hey, can you give me your phone number? Uh, and it's just very elaborate and ridiculous. And I highly recommend it. It's very funny. And then the only other thing I really wanted to talk about is uh, they released on, I think, all the platforms uh, a re, I don't know, it's a remaster, just a redistribution of the Scott Pilgrim versus the World video game, mm-hmm. which is like a side right. scroller beat em up in the style of like Ninja Turtles back in the day. Right. Uh, and it's fucking rocks. I played this game, you know, when it came out many years ago with uh, my buddy Zach, uh, and we, we finished it, and it was a great time. It's got a great like chip tune soundtrack, and so now I'm replaying it again with the wife, and it's a fucking blast. I highly recommend anybody. It's like fifteen bucks. Totally worth it. Dope. Yep. Right on. Cool. Well, shit. I don't know if we've ever actually finished that episode in forty fucking minutes. Well, I mean, are, are we just going to wait and do WandaVision after it's over? Are we going to do... Oh, I totally forgot about WandaVision. Let's, let's talk about WandaVision. 
Uh, so yeah, WandaVision. Um, this one takes place in the 70s. Wanda's pregnant, and then some crazy shit happens at the end of this episode. I do feel confident in my prediction. More and more crazy shit's gonna happen every episode because the whole like last five to ten minutes of this episode is yeah bonkers. The thing to me is this should have been the, the episode when they released a couple together. This should have been the one they stopped at and then left you for the next episode. Agreed. It, this should have, all of the first three should have been at the same time. Because I can tell you that both my wife and my in-laws both watched the first episode and decided not to watch anymore. Right. And it, like this one, I think would have probably got them onto more. Yeah. This one is definitely the hook. To, totally. Yeah. And, and you probably shouldn't wait three episodes to have your, own. that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I like this episode. I, I did. The one thing I wanted to come away from and ask you guys, is Wanda the villain of the show? I feel like Wanda's probably the villain of the show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, I think the more concerning bit, you know, in, in my mind, I imagine that a lot of the people there are like fictional, like, you know, imaginary plant kind of people. Uh, but it's way darker if they're actual people who are forced there into this like 1950s world against their will. I think I think that's what it is. I think they're prisoners. Yeah, hundred percent. That's definitely the implication. Okay, so hear me out. I agree. I think my primary theory is they're prisoners. But what if he said we're mutants? Okay, that was my right. other theory. I mean, definitely, it does. It does feel like this is building towards. I mean, they're leaning on so much shit that happens with Wanda in comics that I feel like her having a say in whether or not mutants do or do not exist uh, probably is something that's going to happen. I don't know if I agree with that storytelling choice. I've, I've said before, I just think mutants should have existed and we just haven't talked about them yet, but I, I'm thinking something like we are coming to something like that. Yes. Fair yep. All right. We got to get out of here next week. Something maybe WandaVision, maybe some other movie that's coming out. I don't even know. Whenever Godzilla comes out, we'll definitely do Godzilla. <laughs> uh thanks everybody for listening uh if you have any suggestions if you had any thoughts on on uh one night in miami or other other movies that came out that you want us to watch you can reach us at realphonies@gmail.com and let us know uh you can also follow us on facebook and twitter at real phonies and on, in, and on instagram at real underscore phonies thanks to zach evans for our, and brian Velasquez for our theme we'll see you guys later later <laughs>